Anita, how's your mental health? <laughs> Questionable <laughs> at all times. You know this. Yeah. How's the mental health of your children? Um, also a little bit tricky. Can I tell you my experience in trying to find therapists for myself and my kids, Mel? Yes, please. Okay. This is how it goes. You ask around your friends and your family for a referral for somebody who's nearby. You finally find somebody who sounds like they might work for your family. You give them a call and you find out that A, they're not accepting new patients or B, they have a huge wait list. So you start over again and you ask people if they know anybody who would be a good therapist and a good fit. Finally, you find one, you go and you meet with them and you figure out that you don't actually like them that much. But it's been so much work to find somebody who you can go to in your area that you're kind of stuck with them. Well, do you have any ideas for how to get around this? Um, I do, because guess what? I've actually had some therapists that I have found on my own, which involves what you're saying. Sometimes I remember one time I was like three hours in the bathtub on my phone looking through yeah. websites. I was such a prune at the end. But I have also had the experience with working with BetterHelp and it was like, I, I don't want to say too good to be true, but because it is true, but it's like amazing because I was matched with my therapist within 24 hours. And you didn't have to go through all of that other ridiculous process of trying to find somebody. And here's the cool thing too, is if that person didn't work out for you, you can just switch and say, and it's not like you're committing to another years long search for somebody who you're going to jive with. It's true. And I lucked out or maybe just BetterHelp is really good at matching people together because I never had to change my therapist. I loved her. Perfect fit for me. And I know that some of our friends have used BetterHelp and they've had to change therapists and boom, same day can change. Easy peasy. You can ghost your therapist. <laughs> Get a new one. I love this idea. BetterHelp is one of our sponsors. If you use our promo code, trybetterhelp.com slash WWDN, you get 10% off your first month and we totally recommend it. Yes. Get some therapy. That's <laughs> trybetterhelp.com slash WWDN. Anita. Melosaurus Rex. What's up? Just doing the thing, living the dream, fighting the fight. Living the widow life. Living the widow life. It's like the thug life, but much sadder. Oh my gosh, now we need t-shirts. You know what? It's like, you know, the the saying, um, the thug life chose me. I didn't choose the thug life. The widow life chose me. I didn't choose widow life. That's true. Next t-shirt. Widow thug. We have loved seeing everybody's posting about wearing their widow we do now t-shirts and swag it's been kind of fun so if you wear them out into the town and take a picture make sure you tag us so we can see it it's so fun to see everybody wear their shirts and see if they get any reactions yes I love it. how's everybody coming off of father's day weekend are you feeling the come down i know that sometimes when i've had like a really emotional time a griefy grief cave time it's almost like you have a hangover after it happens. And so I wonder if people are coming out of their hangover and getting back to regular life or if people are still feeling that hangover or if people are totally cool and fine. Yeah, because at the time of this episode, it will have been a week and a day since Father's Day. Yeah. How about you? Um, I feel like I'm over it. I feel like it's been enough days to not be too. And I mean, we're a couple years out, so it's a little less stressful each time I feel like. 
You also had a birthday with your child. Yep. My son had his birthday. He planned a birthday party on that same day. We went to swimming lessons and he's like, I invited four people to his birthday party. And I'm like, what birthday party? There is no birthday party. He's like, I told him you're taking us to Boondocks. Boondocks. Oh my gosh. Really? It's like a little amusement park. And I'm like, I am not taking anybody to Boondocks. By the end of the day, he had invited 15 people. Oh my gosh. So we and Boondocks just, is not cheap. No, we did not go to Boondocks. We just went back okay. to the pool and it was crazy. <laughs> but he was so excited. He was like, bring me presents. <laughs> and they all did. And then he was like, you should buy me a snack from the snack bar. It's my birthday. Wow. Mm-hmm. I feel like your kids are going to thrive in life, even though right now you might feel like they're bullying you. <laughs> they <laughs> because are. they're getting what they want. And they're learning life skills. I know. I have a hard time with it, but everybody's like, well, you know, they have problem solved how to get what they want. Even even my 11-year-old, he went into Target and he had a certain amount of money and he wanted to buy some Legos. And I sent him in there by himself because he always says like, oh, I'll pay you back. It's just $3 extra or whatever. I was like, nope. So I sent him in there by himself. He came out with more stuff than he had money for. And I was like how did you do that? I was trying to teach you a lesson. And he's like, well, I just went to the cashier and said, I only have this much money. And she took the rest of the money off. I'm like, how? He's working it, man. I know. Yeah, he'll probably be successful or in prison. He has an entrepreneurial spirit. We'll call. We'll go with that. Mel, you had an exciting week. You were out and about and away. Yep, I sure was. I went to McCall, Idaho. With Scotty, my dog, with Scott's family. Did you miss me? I did. Remember when I FaceTimed you? Yes. And you saw that I lived a sliver of an Anita life. <laughs> Just a sliver. I'm not even comparing. It made my day so much. I was laughing so hard. Mel's nieces were pounding on her door and they wanted to enter her room and they were not accepting no for an answer so they came in and climbed on her bed and were i don't know what the right word is because they were just being friendly maybe tormenting mel a little bit yeah hanging out on the bed petting scotty Mm -hmm. talking that part was okay the part that's not okay is when it's almost midnight and that (laughs) happens and so that was a theme throughout the week with my door being locked. And so I was working on telling them, hey, guys, if the door's locked and you cannot open it, that means that I need to be alone. Yeah, which does not work with children. That They don't understand that. You've seen them unlock my door how many times? All of the times. Like <laughs> 13,000 times. Yeah. No boundaries. Kids have no boundaries. One of the nights it was almost midnight and one of the kids was knocking and like Mel Mel and then shaking the door so I like (laughs) thought I would let it go and see how long it would go for because surely they would get the hint right no nope five minutes of shaking so finally I was like okay this is ridiculous (laughs) (laughs) and I'm always the fun aunt Mel like I don't I don't reprimand I'm just like one of them sort of minus the door shaking so (laughs) but I did go out and I was like hey if the door is locked, that means that somebody needs to be alone. Bye. And were they like this? What does that mean? Yeah. Can I come in? And then they did it again the next day. Yeah. So we're working on it. Did you jump in the lake? 
I did. Last year when I went on this vacation, I had jumped in the lake just to see if I would do it. And it ended up kickstarting a really productive several months for me, which I was shocked at. So I started taking cold showers after that because I was working on doing a lot of goals and making courses and stuff. So yeah, I did it again this year. I feel like now I've been in the more productive part of my journey since last year, I guess. So it didn't kickstart me as much because I was kind of already in that. But yes. But guess what? What? First of all, I would like to say I'm so glad that I'm able to do therapy online because I got to do my therapy while I was on vacation. That's cool. So I had a breakthrough both with therapy and with some thought work in the life coaching vein. Would you like to hear about it? It's so wild to me. And you'll you'll probably hear it and be like, well, duh. <laughs> but for me, you know, recognition is like the first part and acknowledging it. So I thought, okay, I feel so unmotivated for exercise. This is weird for me from the first part of my life because I was into tons of sports. I played like five sports, played rugby in college. Like I did skiing, I did soccer, basketball, like all those sports teams at school, blah, blah, blah. Then... I went through college, became an adult, had all sorts of, you know, adulty, hard life things. And then my car accident, which really impacted my exercise abilities, and then Scott dying. So boom, 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 boom. Lots of things kind of knocking me down. And so I got out of the habit of exercise first because I wasn't able to because of the accident. But then because grief is such a wench. (laughs) Like, what a wench, right? So I feel so unmotivated, even though I did buy the e-bike so that you and I could go riding, so I could go with you. Because I'm like, I know I need to get out of my basement. If I have an e-bike, I can at least keep up with Anita, who goes all the time. So I notice that when I exercise, my brain starts feeling better because I have all the happy chemicals. And do you remember, Anita, a couple weeks ago, I called you and I said, Anita... My brain feels awesome because of exercising, and it's felt good for two days. What am I supposed to do with this? I have been used to navigating my life with a broken brain that doesn't feel any ups and downs, really, and keeping things stable and in control. And if I keep feeling like this, I'm going to have to change my life. And what did you say? Do you remember this? Um, I have no idea what I said. I probably said, yeah. Yeah, you go, Mel, that's the point. Now you need to go do it again. <laughs> Here's the whole crux. What in the noises I'm making right now? <laughs> I don't know. It was like between a drum roll and like a, a laugh. Yeah, go ahead. And the count from Sesame yes. Street. <laughs> Continue. That was helpful because it brought to my attention that I was making a conscious decision to then not continue exercising because it would give me less control over what I had worked so hard to gain control over, Mm. which in my case is not leaving my house and talking to lots of people, staying in the basement, making lots of content, doing lots of editing. Like I'm getting a ton done, like stuff that I've always wanted to do, but I never was able to do because I was on the road. And I've limited my social interaction to mostly just widows and like the three people that I can manage dealing with, you know, that are not widows. And so for me to continue to feel good in my brain, like I got so used to functioning with this non-dopamine brain that then if I do have a dopamine brain, I'm going to want to do other things. Mm-hmm. 
it's going to lure you out of the cave and you feel comfortable in the cave. I know. And I feel in control in the cave. Mm -hmm. And the bad thing about the cave and being in control is that then when I'm in a circumstance where I have factors out of my control, I'm not as strong. So I totally see these things, right? So anyway, just kind of like looking back at as to why and having these discussions with my therapist and then working on some life coaching stuff with it, I realized that I think I've been subconsciously equating starting to feel better and kind of taking steps to get out of the cave with be careful, Mel, because if you get too far out of the cave, a big life explosion is going to come and happen and you're going to be right back. So you better keep it safe so that you have less far to fall. Yeah. It brings to mind the saying nothing ventured, nothing gained. So you're like, but also nothing ventured, nothing gained, nothing lost. So it's like, I'm not going to venture because I don't want to lose. It's just nothing ventured, nothing. (laughs) The end. (laughs) And then it brought to mind memories of how three days before Scott died, I did start kind of feeling a little better from my car accident because of all the hard work I put in with baby steps of exercise. And then he died. Rude. And then I was just like shot forever. So that's what I have been learning about myself. So does that mean that you are going to try to change that or you're just aware that you're trying to control that so that you don't feel out of control, even if it's like in a good way? Right now, what I'm working on is I acknowledge those parts. I'm going to see if there are more things to acknowledge that come up. But I'm also now able to see like there's the survival part of my brain and then the the decision-making part of my brain. And of course, I knew that before, but like to actually see how it is working and feeling in my life. I want to do more things. I don't want the fear of whatever, the impending doom to take over my life because I love riding the e-bike. It's so fun. I love skiing. I haven't skied since Scott died. And I want to do that this year. So I think it's just making me more cognizant of what my particular brain is doing. And then I have a an assignment. The assignment from my therapist is to define what se- success looks like for me and what I want it to be. So that's what I'm working on right now is thinking about those things. I My intellectual brain knows it's not good to live in the cave the rest of your life. Right. So I'm... I'm trying to see how I can then maybe keep elements of being productive with maybe doing something I'm not comfortable with that's out of the cave, little by little. So kind of just navigating and seeing like what each day brings. And then I've even noticed a big difference just in one day. Like yesterday, a lot of times I get really weighed down with emotions and so I don't do anything. And I did recognize, oh... That's just my survival brain. And so once I was able to be like, no, that's my survival brain talking and it resonated, then I was able just to like move through stuff. So it's hard. Why is this so hard, Anita? Why? I don't know. Why are brains so hard? Anyway, that was a long blah about (laughs) my journey this week with my mental health. But I think it's exciting. I feel like this is a good time to just say try better help because that's who Mel is using and she was able to see her therapist from Idaho on vacation. You guys can use our special code. It's trybetterhelp.com slash WWDN. You get 10% off your first month and look at how great it's been for Mel. She is making strides and progress and becoming a new person. Slowly. Yes. 
that was like not even intended to be a better help thing, but it, that was my week. Yeah. It's true. So, Anita, I want to ski this winter. Are you going to come with me? I am. I have committed to going skiing with Mel. I don't know how many times it will happen. It's going to be a big deal because I'll have to get a babysitter for the whole day. And why is skiing so expensive? I don't know. Okay. But we're going to get a pass. It's going to be fine. Hey, if the borders open up, Karen, come down from Canada. Come ski with us. (sighs) Come on, man. You can do it. I'll help you. And we can get super cool 90s ski onesie outfits. I've already found them for us. This is the most important part. Yeah. Yeah. My skis I got right before Scott died. So this is a big deal for me. I got them in August and he died in November. So they're brand new to me, even though they will now be five years old. They're still like wrapped in the plastic wrap. My bike's back in working order, BT dubs. So we can go biking. Well, Mel, I'm glad that you had so many breakthroughs. Thanks. Sounds like a good sounds like a good week for you. I can't even remember what happened to me this week. Must not have been that exciting. We had the birthday. Oh, yeah, my sister had a big surgery. She had part of her lung removed and she is doing I don't even know if I should say she's doing well, but it's a big deal. It's very stressful, not for me because I'm not in the mix of it, but it's very stressful for the family as a unit. So that's going on and uh, it's just hard. It's really hard. I think about all of the suffering that she's been through and then I just think about how so many of our listeners and friends and widow wives have lost a spouse to cancer or a long-term illness. I just think of like, there are so many people who have gone through so much and it's all consuming and it's like your whole life is just that illness for so long and it's just... I mean, I just feel like overwhelming isn't the right word. It's decimating. And it's not just you think about all of the people. There's so much there's so much difficulty and heartache and sadness and desperation in the world. And sometimes it just feels like too much. That's why you eat cheese. Mm-hmm. And licorice. I've been eating a lot of licorice this week. <laughs> we both have marathon situations with our sisters. Yeah. My sister is in a different boat but in the mental health kind of realm and i feel you yeah and for those who yeah like anita said are spouses of people that have dealt with addiction or long-term illness man sending you extra hugs because that's a long a whole long set of griefs multiple griefs and we're glad that you are our friend and we are sorry that you're our friend because there's a reason why because your person is gone but We hope that this podcast is helpful to you guys and that you're finding community. Remember to check out our Widow Wives Club for even more support. Yeah, it's on Facebook. Just make sure you answer all of the questions. If you're having a hard time submitting your proof, give us an email. We'll talk about ways we can get you into the group. Please don't be mad at us. We're really protective of our group and we know that we make you jump through hoops, but it's the best way we found to protect the group and We hope that you'll understand that once you're in the group, you will also be benefiting from us, not just letting everybody in who is not actually a widow and a jerk. We got some fun ones this week. You should see the ones we get that are not widows that are scammers. It's pretty entertaining. Yeah, but it's also a little bit terrifying. So check out the Widow Wives Club. Come join us. And if you want to keep the podcast going, if you want to show us your support, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash WWDN. 
We have four different tiers. If you are in the Widow Bestie tier or above, you get a shout-out. So let's do our shout-out now, shall we, Mel? We shall. FYI, everyone, the music that goes under the Patreon shout-out every week is music that I create, and usually the title has something to do with a widow. Now, in this case, it does have something to do with a widow, but it's about Anita. Would you like to tell everyone? (laughs) I told Mel that my toenail was growing funny, and she must have been in the middle of writing this song because then she named it Anita's Janky Toe. (laughs) So enjoy Anita's Janky Toe. As we shout out our patrons. Thanks for the inspiration, Anita. (laughs) Your toe is going to be famous. Okay, we're going to start with our dead husbands. And our first dead husband is our secret dead husband. And to her and to all of you, we say, you got this. Keep going. Don't give up. And next we have Constance Dahlbach. David Kelly. Don Satterwhite. Ivan the Meisner, circle R. Cat the cat. Also, you should get a Circle R cat. Ooh. Amy. Amy Sapp. Ashley Hahn. Christina Shiflett. Mindy Holmgren. Danielle Catterberg. Next, we have Not a Debbie Downer. Dennis Brazo. Jenny Taylor. Jenny Wing. Kirsten Stromberg. Laura Bradbury. Leslie Webb. Straight A, Missy Schubert. Rachel Barbosa. Woo. Sarah Morris. Sylvia Shore. That's Mel's mom. The Wine House. Karen, that's going to come ski with us. Anna Tracy. Christina Scambato. Christine Anderson. Don Barber. Diana Becker. Emily Thornton. Emily Toledo. Aaron Posick. Gabe Lozano. Ian Cini. Ileana Bella Ruiz. Jamie Aliota. I still got to come pick up that suit. Okay. <laughs> She'll know what I mean. <laughs> Jenny Barrow. Mi mamacita. Jocelyn, who's hanging out with Sarah. Again? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Guys, I love that you're friends. Thank you. That's all I have to say. Joy Kirsch, fancy lady. Katie Radcliffe, so rad. Katie Scarra. Oh, <laughs> Katie Scarra. It doesn't Kara <laughs> Scarra. Lori Farrington. Marie Hoffman. Marjorie Lewis. Mary McGowan. Peter Rukavina. Sarah Kennedy. Shannon Helm. Tammy Schwartz. Sunshine, the hosta of the hostas with the mostas. Did you say it hosta? Or hosta. hosta. It's hosta. I think it's regional. Oh, okay. guys. Do you say the plant hosta or hosta? I have heard all. It's like peony and peony. Tomato, tomato. I've never anybody ever say tomato, though. Tara Wallace. Valerie Packer. She moved today. Oh, sad. And Corduroy Wendy. Oh, so soft, but kind of coarse. Mm. (laughs) Way to make it weird, Mel. (laughs) Um, That's what I'm here for. (laughs) Thank you so much. We are so appreciative. And honestly, we cannot believe the amount of support you guys give us. So thank you so much. If any of you all listening want to also join the Patreon, you can. If you're not able to join the Patreon, which is at patreon.com slash WWDN, please consider sharing our social media accounts. Our whole goal is to help other widows in need, and we cannot do this without you. So if you like an Instagram story that we share or a post, share it. Pass it on along. 
you want to buy us tacos, go to buymeacoffee.com slash now. And as always, if you give us a rating and review, I will give you an air high five. Yes. Please help Anita out. Thank you. Shall we get on to the episode, Mel? Yes. We love this lady. She's so cool. And has quite the story. Yes. I'm Anita. I'm Mel. Join us as we try to figure out... Widow, Widow we, we do now. This episode is sponsored by the Meisner Family Foundation in memory of Elizabeth Meisner. Sometimes we assume that unless we had a huge life insurance payout, we don't really need to know anything about investments or even finances. But guess what? A little knowledge of finances is critical for all of us. Maybe your partner was in charge of that stuff, and now you find yourself making all the decisions. Maybe you're mad about that. Maybe I am. Nicole from the He's Gone But The Money's Not podcast is here to help. She tackles financial literacy by telling the stories of women and widows and finance experts and shares the lessons they've learned as certified financial planners. Whether you know a lot and feel confident in your financial decisions or feel unsure about all of that stuff, there is more to learn. Listen and subscribe to the He's Gone But Then The Money's Not podcast on all podcast platforms. This ad was paid for by Rock House Financial, an SEC-registered investment advisor. First of all, here's the deal, everybody. Back before I became a widow, I was obsessed with near-death experiences for a lot of my life. This is not surprising to anybody. And I remember at one point, a friend had recommended this book called The Message that somebody had given to her after her mom had passed away. And I read the book, I loved the book, and it just stuck in my mind. So then fast forward, many years later, then I am a widow, and somebody reminded me of that book, and I was like, oh yes, I've read it. And it's so funny, when I, on the podcast, when I have talked about how sometimes I am kind of mad at Scott because he did not choose to come back. It's because of this book. <laughs> so this is the lady who was married to the guy that the story was about. And it's about their experiences. And I did not even realize until I became a widow in 2017. Was it 2017, Anita, that I became a widow? I think so. <laughs> that there was a part two to the book. I think it had been added sometime in between then. So we have the author, who is also a widow, with us, Josette. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for the opportunity. Will you tell us a little bit about your life with your husband, Lance? Well, okay, it's been 17 years, almost 18 years since my husband died, 17 and a half. And um, my second husband, I was widowed single for six years. Um, I had seven children, young children at the time my husband died. Not fair. Bad, bad. bad. No life insurance. No. I have been super duper poor. I know what it means to be poverty stricken, but, um, and desperate and insane and crazy and not knowing, you know, what to do about anything. But 17 and a half years later, um, let's see, I've been married now for remarried for 10 years. Again, like I was single for six years. And my second husband will tell you that my first husband 
was perfect because everybody, including me and all my kids, think he was perfect. <laughs> so just know that if you ever remarry, all your family will just let your second husband know that the first husband was perfect in every way. That's pretty hard to live with. So yeah, but I, I have two good husbands, two good marriages, which, and, and in saying that, both my marriages were extremely difficult. Um, they were good marriages and extremely difficult. Um, just in a nutshell, my first marriage was extremely difficult because Lance, uh, the one who wrote the book, The Message, is, was continually ill, like always really on death's doorstep in and out of the hospital for 21 years, pretty much the whole time. Someone asked me just the other day, what, you know, how many good years did you have with health with your husband? And I said, none. None, none, none. From the day we got married, he had his first surgery when we were engaged, second surgery shortly after we were married. I mean, you know what I mean? It was just, we were just always dealing with chronic illness. So that is something that I feel like I'm a veteran at is chronic illness. And then my second husband, the reason I tell you that my second marriage is extremely difficult is mainly just what I kind of jokingly said um, at the first, um, your first husband is on this high, the highest plateau ever, and no one will ever be good enough for, for that. And frankly, just step parenting stinks. Um, <laughs> it's just, being a step parent is really a, a difficult scenario. I actually just went back to school three years ago and I'm, um, I'm going to become a, a marriage and family therapist, which I'm really excited about. So I think my life experiences, you know, the old chronic illness and um, widowhood and single motherhood is, and then remarriage and blending families is way, is a much more important and um, gives me a level of understanding that, that going to school doesn't, you know what I mean? Yeah. Just, I've learned, you know, like you guys, um, from life experience, which is the greatest teacher of all. So your first husband, Lance, had a near-death experience. Right. And then he writes a book about it. Right. Okay? And then he died, which yeah. seems sort of rude, don't you think? Oh, yeah. I've been through the angriest stages there are. I have been so angry about the whole thing that I've, I've just, I've questioned everything, whether or not there could be a God because he's so unfair and horrible to all of us in one way or another and questioned you know, well, we've all been angry at our spouses. I mean, when my first, when my husband died, I thought I'll never be angry at him because we had such a lovely marriage, la, 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 la. That someone should have just shook me and said, just re get ready, girl. You're going to, it's going to hit you and it's going to hit you hard. And it did. I, and I, I actually still have varying degrees of anger 17 and a half years later. Every once in a while, I'll find myself just driving, thinking with nobody else in the car, you know, when you can really get real with yourself and think. And all of a sudden I'll shock, I'll just sit up straight and go, wow, I'm still feeling those angry, grieving things. I still mm -hmm. hate my husband for ditching me. You know what I mean? <laughs> Do you want to tell us the circumstances of his near-death experience just, you know, quickly and also how he died? Because they were not related, right? It was like two separate things. So he had Crohn's disease, a really bad case of Crohn's which is hereditary. I, I have seven kids with, with Lance had, you know, we had seven kids together when he died. Our baby was just like a year and a half old. Um, 
but one of our children has inherited his disease. My only daughter, I have six sons and one girl and she inherited his disease. But now again, it's 30 years later. I mean, from when Lance first got Crohn's disease or started manifesting symptoms, doctors know a lot more. Um, my daughter actually has chosen to go the natural path. She went to a doctor for the first few years. She, she was diagnosed at 15 and she just basically told her doctors, you're not helping me with all these drugs. And she's gone completely into totally natural foods, you know, and um, she makes sure, sure she gets enough rest and eats just super, super crazy healthy. And she's ditched all her medicine. I'm super proud of her. She's 20. How old is my daughter? I think she's 25 now. Yeah, she's 25. And she, she still has Crohn's. I mean, Crohn's isn't something that you say I'm completely cured of, right? It's chronic, but she manages her disease and lives a really full, healthy life. Um, and I'm, I'm super proud of her. So anyway, you asked about his death. And so we had really bad case of Crohn's. Sorry. It's all good. We're all <laughs> widows here with brains. Yeah. Oh yeah. That are widow I'm, brain. I'm as crazy as they come. Anyway, yes. he, he had a um, really bad case of Crohn's, but he had an accident, which he described in his book uh, that, that created his near death, that caused you know, him to have the, the health problems that he was in a coma for, for about seven weeks and um, really didn't, really didn't have much hope of living through it. It was real miraculous that he did live. And then he had, um, and during that seven weeks, I think he had had what I've seen, is, and I haven't done research on this, but as far as I've seen, the longest near-death experience on record, um, on my record. <laughs> but in, I mean, like I said, I, I've read, read a lot of near-death uh, books, and I haven't seen anyone else who's reported having a near-death experience that's been that extensive. Um, so it was really kind of neat. His his book is is life-changing. It's really cool. And he, I also, sometimes I feel like near-death experience stories, I don't know, sometimes I feel like they get a little weird. And, um, and I, I just, I, my husband was a pretty down-to-earth, chill, just, you know, normal guy. And, and his near-death experience is just, is just pretty raw and real. And um, I don't know, to me, it's believable. Again, I'm his wife. I remember a specific part in the book where it talks about you're driving and you hear a song on the radio and and he was in, quote, in the car with you, right. having his near-death experience. As widows, we often are looking for signs of our people around or we're like, where are you? Are you here? What's the deal? Did you feel him in that moment? What was it like for you on that side of it? Lance had prepared me really well for both what happened during his near-death experience and recognizing him after his death, um, mainly just because he was a super clairvoyant person. You know how some people just say, I have this spiritual gift and I, um, I see, you know, my guardian angel or whatever. I'm not like that. I feel like I'm kind of dead. I'm not a person who has ever claimed to have any spiritual gifts whatsoever, but Lance did. And um, he had the opportunity to experience visitations from his guardian angels before his near-death experience. And um, so he would share those experiences with me. And like, like I said, he was a pretty down to earth, honest kind of guy. So um, 
he wasn't super dramatic or weird or out there. And so I really just, I kind of believed and trusted what he told me about his experiences. And basically, again, I, I've never really experienced great big signs and visions or manifestations from, you know, my husband, who I believe is now my guardian angel, along with the guardian angel to my family, my children, but just feeling a good, happy, peaceful thing at a time when there's a sign like a song that came on the radio at that time that his spirit was with me in the car. The song that came on the radio that was, it was a song that was special to both of us um, before his near-death experience. And I didn't say to myself while I'm driving, this song was special to both of us and I feel this great, wonderful presence. And I didn't recognize really that he was with me then. But then the cool thing I had was I just, I just felt, I just felt like, man, if he's ever going to be with me, it might be now because I feel this peace and this, this joy and this, this beautiful feeling right while this song is playing. And I actually had that thought and kind of glanced to the passenger seat. I didn't see anything. And I thought if, if he was, you know, in the spirit, the next life as a, you know, having this near death experience, if his spirit left his body and he's able to visit me, it would probably have been then. But that was all I knew. And then later, it was so cool because after he came back from the, this long coma, he said, remember that time in the car when that song came on and you glanced to the passenger seat and you, you kind of started to cry because it was a special song? That was when I was with you. And so that meant a lot to me because then after his near-death experience, we had five years where he lived and before his death. And um, so he... At, during his long near-death experience, he had the opportunity to come check on me and, and our children. Um, and then after he came out of the coma, he's like, remember this time? That was when I was with you. Remember that time? That was when I was with you. He told that to our older four or five kids who, you know, who were old enough. And, and so that was great because it taught us after his death to maybe be a little more aware, you know, a little more aware. And I'm still to this day, not going to say I see visions of Lance all the time and he talks to me, but I have special moments when there's a song on, or maybe I'm going through a hard time. And I'm like, if he's ever going to be with me and I feel that peace and I feel just love, I'm like, I really, I'm pretty sure he's with me, you know? So I guess I could write the book, recognizing dead relatives for dummies. Yes. That would be my book. <laughs> hey, so many of us really would love to learn about that because, I mean, you've lived it and you know, it's like, can you imagine being a widow and, and not having some of that knowledge from his near-death experience? It's like, yeah. it's, yeah. I think uh, in the book, it's so fascinating that there are those uh, instances where he was there watching or just, you know, not really participating, I guess, but watching. And then you guys were able to verify it later. And the second half to the book that my children and I wrote, basically that was the focus of the book is how, how do you recognize your deceased loved ones, you know? And um, I wrote an extensive story about, for me, one of the times that I knew that Lance was with me after his death and it had to do with a song that we love. I, I felt Lance's presence so strongly in this situation. I knew he was with me. And this was about, this was eight years after Lance died. And I had been married, remarried just two years. Again, 
you know, I was widowed for six years and then I remarried. And then two years after his death, excuse me, two years after my remarriage, sorry. Um, I, I had an experience where I knew Lance was with me and it, it happened like this. So my second husband's name is Hayden and he hasn't uh, had the opportunity to raise children. And here I had seven, which has been a real tough thing for us. Um, you know, kids are drive you nuts, Anita, you know that. And, um, and pretty much drive you nuts all day long, every day of your life <laughs> in one way or another. And, um, and I, love, I love my children and I have amazing children and my husband's death and even his chronic illness brought us to, uh, we we're an exceptionally close family. And I'm, I'm grateful for the hard things we went through because it brought us close and established really strong bonds. But so two years after I, my remarriage to Hayden, I was just really discouraged. We were building a home, we had moved to be closer to our kids. We have four boys that played um, college football. Our oldest four played uh, for BYU. And we were living in Idaho where Lance and I met and married and lived for 28 years. But um, anyway, then after our boys all started to go to BYU to play football, my second husband and I decided it would be good to keep the family close. You know, the younger kids really needed the influence of their older brothers, especially, you know, just kind of trying to learn to blend our family. They, they needed the strength that comes from older siblings. So we moved to Provo and we were building a home. And honestly, things were kind of rocky between Hayden and my children. Again, it, it's just Hayden had never raised a child and I have all these teenagers. Oh my gosh. Can you imagine being thrown into a situation where there's like four teenagers and you've never raised a child. It was insanely hard for him, insanely hard for my kids. I was discouraged. I felt like Lentz and I had learned what he learned from his near-death experience had, had really helped us learn what was most important. And we had a super sweet family life. And then when I remarried, it just wasn't rolling very well. You know what I mean? It was so difficult. And I really love my husband, Hayden. He's so good to me. And again, here it's now 11 and a half years later and we're still married and we're still working on, you know, the blending family thing and we will be. But at this point, things were kind of at uh, ahead as far as just being really difficult because my kids were all just, we just started a new school year. My kids all had been, you know, transferred from where we lived in Idaho forever to brand new schools. They're all adjusting and they're feeling insecure. They don't have new friends yet. We're living in a, in a, a hotel all smashed into one room. Um, a couple of my boys were sleeping on the floor and that was going on for like six weeks. Cause it took forever. You know how a house is, if you ever build a home, it, it, it was, they said it would be done. And anyway, we were homeless pretty much. So we were living in a hotel and um, it was financially stressful. We we're trying to, you know, put a bunch of money into our new home. The kids are all, you know, struggling with their friends. So it was just a tough time. So I go to drop off the kids at school. And for me, I actually feel the spirit when I'm alone driving in the car. And with seven kids at that point in my life, I'm almost an empty nester. But back then, I didn't have very many opportunities where I'm alone in the car. And so for me, I can just pray and think. And I have great ideas and inspiration come when I'm just alone in the car. So I drop the kids off of school. I'm driving back. And I'm still frustrated and worried about, man, this family situation doesn't seem to be working. And I'm kind of crying and praying. And then I just... The, the song that had been super significant to Lance and I comes on the radio. It's the song called Home by Michael Buble. And Lance let me know earlier that that song was how he felt. 
um, during one of my angry Atlanta stages, thinking, oh, you're just off in the next life where, you know, everyone's great and, and having fun and you don't have any worries about money or anything. And, you know, you're free of all the problems with all these teenagers and you're just off wherever the next life takes you having the best time ever. And I'm here stuck with all the problems and you just ditched us. Anyway, I had a cool experience where he let me know that, that the words from the song home were really how he felt that he missed us and he wanted to be with us and he really longed to be home with us. And so that song comes on the radio during this time when I'm driving back to our hotel and I'm alone. And I, I, I was still, I was in a stage of anger at Lance and I'm like, don't, don't make me cry over this stupid song and tell me that you miss us. Oh my gosh, you're such an idiot. You, you ditched us, you know? And um, so I, I kind of started to cry feeling that he was there, not wanting him to be there, mad as heck at him, thinking, man, I'm not in a situation that's happy right now. And you, you know, you ditched us. So don't come back and tell me, oh, you miss us. You know what I mean? It was your choice. You left. <laughs> I mean, that was, you know, how it goes when you're mad. So I stopped by the grocery store and I'm just picking up a few things, kind of in a hurry, wanted to get back to doing, you know, what I had on my list to do. And the same song, Home by Michael Buble is playing at the grocery store. So I'm, I'm starting to cry and I'm feeling his presence. I'm like, just get out of here, I hate you. And so I'm pushing the cart around the grocery store. The song plays over and over and over. It's like stuck on replay. I swear, I only had to pick up four or five things. It played four or five times in a row. It played until I could rush to the, and I'm just bawling. I know that Lance is there. I know he's telling me I care. You know, I, I miss you. I want to be there. I, I miss my life with you and the kids. And I'm just not having any of it. I'm so mad at him that I'm just crying, angry tears. So I get to the checkout. The lady can see I'm crying, the checkout girl. And I just hurry by myself and rush to the car. Tears are streaming down my face. Drive back. I'm free, free myself from that song that won't stop. Sit down in my hotel room. It's a beautiful spring morning. And I, I'm starting to, um, for me, one thing that really calms me when I'm feeling angry, frustrated, confused, upset, have too many problems on my plate. I just read the scriptures and this works for anybody. I just read whatever I believe is the word of God and anyone can read whatever they believe is the word of God. Your closest thing to, to, to hearing the voice of God. I read the scriptures and then I just write my thoughts and feelings. So I was doing that. It was such a pretty day. I opened the window. The, a big truck drives through the parking lot. The drive, the truck driver has his window rolled down. He's driving slowly. The song home is playing loudly <laughs> through from the truck driver into my window. And I'm like, okay, okay, let's, I got it. I got it. I can tell you're trying to give me a message that you still care. You still love us. And I stopped being mad finally. <laughs> How do you think they do that? I mean, do their like spirit hands go in and like... <laughs> push play for these people like how do, I'm so curious on I think it's their spirit tentacles do you kind of wish that it could have been a different song like I was really really hoping you were gonna say it was something by ACDC <laughs> or something yes. just like completely not like holy and you know calming could have chosen of like you know but I guess that was the vibe he wanted <laughs> he to He could have sent me that highway to hell. That would have been a good one. 
<laughs> you're not the you're mad at me so you're on a highway to hell you know i would have probably said you're probably right <laughs> so josette he has this near-death experience you go on and how long did he live after that five years five years almost exactly yeah and then he just died right yeah like and he died in his sleep. So do you even know why he died? Uh, they did not do an autopsy, but I can, I'm, it's been 17 years. I can tell you the details about his death. And it was really a, a blessing from God for me, how he died. So um, he was doing better. He had been in the hospital three weeks prior. And he frankly had been on death's door three weeks before, but he was just doing better. It was like about six in the morning. And... He just, he, he just was laying on his side and he, he was just breathing really deep, really slow. And he looked like he was kind of half conscious. I kind of shook him and he, he just didn't really respond. And he just kept doing this deep, slow. I've heard now that there's something called a death breath that people do. I, he was just in his sleep. And again, he had felt great the day or two before, you know, and I believe in retrospect, again, that he died of just he was back then they just treated him with really high powered steroids, lots of prednisone. I don't know if anyone knows about prednisone. It's an ugly drug run. If you're a doctor, yeah. but he was on like 75 milligrams for 20, 20 more or more years, you know, um, not all the time, but pretty high doses. He could never get off it. And I just think it just, his heart just stopped. It was crazy. But anyway, the cool thing about his death was when he stopped breathing, I, I did CPR. I was a CNA in high school and this is, I'm, I'm 40 years old, you know, over 20 years later, 20, 22 years later. And my husband needs CPR. And so I actually just performed CPR perfectly, perfectly, perfectly. I don't know how, you know what I mean? And he's pink the whole time. I'm, I'm keeping his heart rate going. I, I'm, I'm doing the mouth. And I think they do it differently now, but I did the, the chest compressions alternated with the breathing. He was pink. He was alive, but I, you know, I called 911 before I started doing CPR and all of a sudden there's five EMTs surrounding my husband. They, they, they are all working on him. I'm looking over their shoulder going, he's gray. He's dead looking. I had him pink. What's your problem? Move out of the way. Do you know what I mean? And they're very well trained. And I think that God just gave me that blessing to somehow remember how to do CPR and keep my husband alive. So I didn't have to live with the rest of my life thinking I killed my husband because I couldn't do CPR because that would have been a big guilt trip. I mean, in my circumstances with a sick husband, I should have been practicing CPR every other week. You know what I mean? I didn't practice it for 20 years just because life was too crazy busy. I didn't know. I couldn't remember it, but I had that spiritual gift that day. I think spiritual gifts come in lots of packages. And that day, my spiritual gift was, I did CPR perfectly. I know that we have lots of listeners who have had to perform CPR on their husbands. And I know that a lot of them struggle with the what ifs of, had I been trained better? Had I performed it better? Had I, you know, noticed he was acting funny before and gotten him to the doctor. So there's so much surrounding that. And it really, that's really just a hard, a hard burden to carry. That's a hard burden to yeah. carry. So you were given a little spark of, of something instead of carrying well, that and burden. I, I'm glad you brought that up, Anita, because um, 
I had a lot of just gifts, miracles like that one, you know, to be able to do CPR. But the next widow maybe wasn't given that gift, but maybe she had other gifts that I didn't like for me. I had no life insurance. And so some people have it, some people don't. We all have, we all have different road to, to walk. I mean, I had intense anxiety over how am I going to provide for my family, you know, that lasted for several years. But some people have one gift, some people have another. By saying that I did CPR perfectly and the next widow didn't means absolutely nothing. We all have different crosses to, to, to bear and to carry. Well, and the outcome didn't change you know, their husband died, your husband died. So it's not like you were given the gift of, which is also a hard thing. Do you guys have a hard time when people are like, let me tell you the miracle of how my, my person lived through all of these, inter- you know, and everything worked and you're like, I don't want to hear that. <laughs> I want to hear how you had all those miracles and your, your husband or your spouse or your child or whatever lived. And I'm like, why didn't my live? I don't know. Yeah. I, I think Stupid. we all just have to say, Hey, everyone has a different road to walk in a different, um, yeah. But I did have a lot of miracles and I think we all do. I think one thing that honestly, I really believe that the more grateful we are for the miracles and blessings that we receive, big or small, I just think it's like, I, I think the more grateful we are, the more we recognize other miracles. And I believe, I honestly believe God wants to give miracles to people who are grateful just like I do with my teenagers. Do you know what I mean? I mean, look at your kids. And when one's being a snot over in the corner saying, how come I didn't get a new pair of whatever, you know, you don't want to give them more. <laughs> I really honestly believe that's how God works too, a little bit. Someone else could look at my life and say, God didn't give you much because you had all these trials and hard things and your husband died. But if I look at how he helped me through all those things, man, I've been given so much, you know, and so I know that when I'm grateful, it changes the whole story. It just changes the whole attitude and it brings joy. I think gratitude is huge in our relationships with each other and in our relationships with God and in the way we even look at our lives and our, and our hard times and the, you know, um, I could, I could get up tomorrow and tell my story in, with a negative connotation or a negative tone and attitude. And, and then I could get up the next day and, um, and tell a completely different story from a grateful perspective. And it makes all the difference. Do you think that a lot of it is just that when we turn our head towards trying to find things to be grateful for, we recognize more of them? And when we're kind of like, I mean, we all, we all suck on bitter lemons sometimes like purposefully, like I am not looking for the things that are going well because my life is hard and dumb and my kids are screaming in the background (laughs) and you know, all of those things. And, and then there are times when, if we can find it within ourselves to look for the things that we have been given or that are going well then we start to find more of those and it might help our, our overall experience. I think, it helps. I think it's a night and day change. Have you guys ever heard of, um, I mean, this is kind of random, but my boys, I've got six sons and they're all into pretty heavy into athletics and sports. And they, like I said, they all played college football and stuff. And 
so they're really big into I have one son, especially who uh, just got a master's in sports psychology. And so another son got a, a master's in psychology, general psychology. Anyway, so we're always talking about psychology in general. And if you take God completely out of it and just go for, you know, our attitudes and our perspective and gratitude, and they've done all kinds of studies. And again, taking God completely out of it, just they've done all kinds of studies that show that people who are grateful and looking for good things bring more great, more good things to their lives, you know, and those who are sucking on lemons, which I've done plenty of that, those who are sucking on lemons and only noticing the bad things, they just bring more bad to their lives. It's kind of a, it's kind of a power of the universe, whether you believe in God or not, that good, good looking for good gratefulness brings more good looking for bad being negative I, I have a close family member that was so negative and um, man, this poor person brought all kinds of health problems on themselves and pro, you know, financial problems and struggles that you're like, man, I feel like you're just like a magnet, a negative magnet drawing it to you. You know, I, I just think it's, you know, whether or not you believe in God, just, just looking at studies and psychology, it's easy to see that we change our whole attitude and really our whole world by our negativity or our positivity or and our gratitude. I love that. That goes along with the law of attraction versus the law of scarcity, which basically states that you are raising or lowering your vibrations and that you attract what you put out. You could say, okay, I got married at 19 and my husband was sick the whole time. We had all these kids, he died. He came back to life. I still had to care for him. I had a sudden death. He had no life insurance, even though he knew he was going to die again. And now there's all these things like you could look at that and frame that in those ways, even though those things happened. Yeah, he did die. Yeah, you didn't have life insurance. Yes, you have seven children. Those are huge things. And a blended family like, I mean, Anita and I don't have those, those experiences. So like we can only like imagine the difficulties with that. And we've heard from some of our widow friends that are in those situations that it's difficult. But here you are saying, yes, I have all these things. I'm acknowledging those things and I'm choosing to look for the good. Can you also look for the good and feel anger and negativity and pain at the same time? Not for me. For me, I'm either in the anger and pain and neg negativity mindset or I'm in the look for the good mindset. I don't know. I guess there's a little bit the, um, I, I've been really angry and said, well, at least, you know, finished off my anger stage by saying, well, at least I didn't have this or that. You know what I mean? I think in order to have the great, grateful mindset that brings more positive things into your life, you really have to work at it. I don't think it's natural. Um, it's hard work. You, yeah. You have to work for it and you have to, but honestly, the more I see things that I'm grateful for, the more I'm like, you know, but hey, I will admit openly that I have spent just as much time as the next widow being mad and angry and negative. And, and one thing I've learned is when I'm in that mad, angry, negative stage, don't tell me to be positive then. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> I'll probably just want to slug you, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I had to give a, I gave like a speech to a group of people once and they wanted to talk about making lemonade and I I love lemonade it's like my favorite drink and one of the things I talked about is that there is always sugar available to make your lemonade but you are the only person 
And sometimes you have to plant like a sugar beet field and wait for it and harvest it. It's a lot of work, but you cannot, like if people want to come dump sugar in your lemonade, you're like, get away from my lemonade. This is my lemonade. I have to find the sugar. And sometimes it's easy. Sometimes we're like, oh, I'm so thankful for this. Open up the cupboard, get the sugar, dump it in. Sometimes it's like you have to pull all the weeds from the field first, but it's always there. It's just harder to find it sometimes. And you have to get it for yourself. You can't. You can't get it delivered with Walmart. Walmart delivery. Yeah. Yeah. You can't get it with Walmart yeah. delivery. I, and I honestly easy. think with the whole grief thing, when you go through something terrible like that, I don't think you just wake up the day after your husband dies and say, I'm going to make lemonade. I, I just think you, you have to work through the grief first. And, and honestly, I mean, it's been 17 years for me. I'm not going to promise you that tomorrow I'm not going to have more angry grief to work through and don't come around and just sprinkle sugar on my head because I'm going to be mad at you for that. You know what I mean? I feel like there's some stuff we just got to work through. And I feel like we're all on a, well, so this is me right, right after my husband died, I worked in my church with the young, the young women. Right. And so like literally a week after my husband died, I'm like, oh, I don't have anything better to do. I'll go to this activity at the church, you know, with the, the young women. And I was numb, you know, but it was better than just sitting at home. And so I went to this activity and my bishop came up to me and he just kind of pulled me off aside in the corner. And he said, how are you? You know, and for most people, when they say, how are you? You just kind of put on the fake smile and say, fine. But for my bishop, he was wanting a real answer. And I said, oh my gosh, I'm going to die. I can't eat. I can't sleep. I feel this suffocating crush. I don't even feel like I can stand up straight and take a deep breath. It's suffocating. It's crushing. I, I, I'm going to die of lack of sleep if I don't die first of starvation because everything tastes like cardboard. I hate food. I hate, I mean, I just lay in bed and, and I can't even sleep. And I, I did end up getting some sleeping pills for my doctor uh, that I needed for several months. But um, so my bishop, this was the first time I'd ever really thought this through. He, I'd heard of the five stages of grief and he just outlined them for me. And he said, everyone goes through these five stages of grief. Everyone's on their own projectile with these five stages. And he said, you may not really have even all of them, but you may have a ton of one and someone else has a ton of another stage, or you may go for 15 years and think you're done with all these five stages of grief. And then one will come back and hit you. You know what I mean? He's like, there's no, there's no set. There's no set course for anybody. Everyone's different. And um, I don't know why, but that was the first night I could actually sleep. Just knowing what I was going to be dealing with and recognizing it. It was kind of like the enemy took off its mask and I could stare him in the eyes and I went, okay, now I know what I got to do, you know? And it just, that was the first night I slept. And so it's just good to, to actually acknowledge what you're going through. And, and, and when I, every once in a while, my kids will start talking and I'll be like, whoa, the angry stage just hit you. And this is years later, you know? And, um, and I'm like, the best thing you can do is talk it out. It, you know, just talk, talk, talk. If you don't want to talk to me, talk to your spouse, talk to God, talk to the wall. But, but get it out and say all the horrible things you feel. But that's not the point when I should tell my son, maybe you should just look for the good, you know? You need to work through it. And it's like walking through quicksand and there's no shortcuts. 
you got to work through it. So don't try to make a night before you're ready. I want to ask you a question that's maybe off topic. You said that your second husband did not have children. He did not. Okay. So you were not the stepmom. He was the stepdad. Yes. I, I lied though. He he has one son from his first marriage who he had not lived with since he was like two. We just have lots of people ask about like dealing with their own stepkids. So I was going to ask you about that. From my experience with step parenting, again, just watching, because I'm not a, well, I, I am a stepmother to my husband's one son who's 35, but he never lived with us. So I really didn't have too many problems as a stepmother. But um, for my husband, yeah, he he was a stepfather to seven young kids and our, our oldest had just was 19 and just left home, but six young kids, you know, but the best advice I could give to anyone. And I actually just Facebook messaged uh, another widow about it this morning. The best advice I could give to anyone in a step parent blended family situation is how the step parent never disciplined, not even come close to discipline, not even tell them anything uh, as far as correction goes um, for at least two years. Really, they just need to work on being Mr. Nice Guy or Mr. Nice Mom, uh, Mrs. Nice Mom. Um, but but before you've established that foundation of love and and made that a real solid bond, uh, you the kids aren't if they're teenagers anyway, they're not going to listen to any kind of reprimand from a step parent. Um, they they've got to know you love them first, but before the reprimand will. Or, or the correction will even work, you know? Uh, if they feel like some new person just jumped into their family and now telling them what to do without knowing that that person really deeply loves them and have established that relationship of love and trust for a, for a long period of time. And I've, I mean, it takes time to establish trust. I don't care, you know, how nice you are. It, it takes a while. Um, but if you, if you try to reprimand or, or even correct in any way or give advice to kids, especially teenagers, it just goes over like a lead balloon and, and just hurts, hurts the relationship if you try to jump into that realm too much. So basically that means that the biological parent has to accept the fact that you're going to be, or accept the responsibility of being the only bad guy. And that's okay. That's way better than trying to take it from, because your, your kids know you love them. You know, if I lose my clue right now and go out and yell at my son, I can apologize later. He knows that I love him the whole time. And when you have a step parent, they don't know that. You have to establish that first. That's probably the best advice I could ever give in this little realm of step parenting from my experience. Just tell your spouse when you get remarried, they have to just- Just hang out, be cool. <laughs> they be can cool. be the fun guy. Be cool, man. Be yeah. cool. <laughs> the Disney dad. Exactly. That's actually what I was going to say. But until they really, really- focused on that relationship of trust, no matter how irritating your kids are going to be, and they will push that button. They will try to trigger your spouse as hard as they can, but they've just got to hold it together for at least two years. For me, that was, that was something that we did sometimes and it worked. And the times that it, that we didn't do that, it backfired with bad repercussions. So have you made a lot of meaning out of the fact that he had a near death experience and then died five years later? Did you put a lot of meaning in those five years? Like what was he, you know, why was he saved and then taken? Why did he have that? And then came back. Does that question yeah. make sense? So as far as meaning goes, um, when my husband was in that, that long coma, he, he kept asking, it was his deceased relatives that already knew and loved him that were kind of like his, 
tour guide of the next the next life and he kept asking them am I going to get to go back I have all these you know I have a young family and they need me and and they kept telling him yes your 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 work on on earth as a, a mortal is not complete yet you still have things to do which you know when he comes out of the coma miraculously I'm like yes this means he's gonna have a full regular life I did not expect at all that he'd only have five years um but I always tell people when they ask, you know, why did he have those five years and what were the things that came out of it? The meaning that we found are, are threefold. First, in the next step in our journey after our death that Lance saw, the most significant thing that makes everybody who's had a near-death experience say they don't want to come back, it, the most significant thing he learned was that there's no presence of evil there and everyone just loves each other and wants to help each other like crazy. And he, he, when he came out of the coma, he kept saying over and over again, I would give anything to have that feeling back. I mean, can you imagine just being in a world where everybody is just a hundred percent charity and love for each other? That's what it was like in the next level. Um, whatever you believe causes evil, whatever that force is that causes evil in this world, it's not in the next. And so he, he just, when he came out of that coma, he was like, and we are the typical family. You got a lot of kids and everyone's kind of selfish and fighting. And you know what I mean? I mean, we weren't perfect and I mean, we were good, but, but we could have been, but, but then when he came back, he's like, oh my gosh, I, I, I didn't want to come back because it just felt so sweet and pure joy and happiness and love and nothing, nothing less than that, you know? And he said that was attributed to the fact that there was, again, no force of evil there. And the motive operation it was over there was that everyone was, was serving each other. They cared about each other. That that's what you do when you're in the next world. You just serve other people and care about other people, whether it's people who are mortals on earth or people in that next realm. Um, if you're just caring about other people, it's so happy. And so we had the wonderful, you know, that was the number one blessing and the number one meaning that we, that we got from the next five years is we went from just being a typical family with little ups and downs and stresses and contention here and there to an amazing family that kind of, we were trying so hard to live like what Lance saw in the next life. And that changed us changed us completely and then still today we're trying to get that back you know trying to have that feeling that he said he would just want he would give anything to have that feeling back this that's the first thing that we got the first piece of meaning we got from um those five years the next piece of meaning that we got was lance wrote his book where he described all that and it sold like crazy it sold all over i'm i'm actually just in the next couple of months getting it translated into spanish and portuguese we're taking it to south america uh through you know just ebooks uh, on amazon and um his book has changed a lot of people's lives and i'm really grateful to be a part of that changed a lot of lives for good and taught a lot of people including me and my family what matters you know and we didn't really realize it before so much. Um, and then the last thing, my my husband and I had another baby <laughs> in that last five years. And he's he's actually just graduated high school. And um, we had actually at the time of the coma, we had six young kids. And then five years later, um, 
about four and a half years after our sixth son, or after our sixth child, we had our seventh son, our seventh, sixth son and seventh child. And he's a really good kid and he's making a difference in the world. And I feel like that's something that can't be replaced, you know? So there's a lot of meaning in those five years, finding out how to live without evil and anger and contention and writing the book to tell people about it. I feel like everybody should have a near-death experience. I know, I want one. <laughs> like when you're talking about that, I'm like, whoa, that sounds nice to... Josette, as one of the people that Lance's story and your story has touched even before they became a widow, I would like to thank you so very much because not only did it help me then, it helped me when I was in the first parts of going through widowhood and continually as I still am a widow. So thank you so much. I, I'm sorry for all of the hard things in your life, but I'm also glad that you have framed it in a way that you are helping others and that you're choosing your journey with all of these things that have been placed in your life. So thank you. And thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's been my pleasure. I need to remember the things we learned from that near-death experience because I'm just a typical person who wakes up and something irritates me and I'm right back to forgetting all the great things I learned. So I, I'm grateful to have a time to, to remember and just acknowledge the, the hand of our deceased loved ones in our life. It's, they're, they're there and they're real. And I really believe the, the closer we get to God, the closer we'll get to those deceased relatives who are our angelic ministers. Josette has offered to give one of our listeners a book. If you guys are interested in reading the first part of the book is from Lance and he talks about the near-death experience. And then like Josette was saying, she and her children wrote a second, I don't know if it's a half or a second part of it to go along with the first part of it. Um, so it's been revised and we'll be doing a giveaway on Instagram if you want to um, try and win a book. If you want to just buy one, where do you buy one? Actually, um, it's easy. You can go to the name of our book is The Message from Our Side. The message is the part that Lance wrote. From our side is our, you know, experience with him after his death. So the message from our side.com. And you can go to our website. And soon you can buy it in Portuguese if you so desire. Yeah, and you get on Amazon. Just look up Lance Richardson, The Message. You'll find it. It's easy. It's sold in bookstores as well. Thank you so much for joining us, Mel. Do you want to ask her the final question? This is the most important question of all time, Josette, ever. More than any near-death experience question and step-parenting question. Are you ready? Yes. What is your favorite cheese? <laughs> cheese curds. Cheese curds, those little, so they're squeaky. Like Cash Valley squeaky cheese? Yes, Cash Valley squeaky cheese by far. That's the first time somebody's answered that one, Mel. Thank you so much for joining us, Josette. Your story is just one in a, a seven billion, probably. Really interesting. And I loved to have your perspective from a little bit further down the line. And you've you've kind of lived through a lot of a lot of craziness. So thank you so much. We hope our listeners have also found the episode interesting and helpful and that you'll check out her book if you want to hear more about um, Lance's experience and Josette's experience. 
remember to check out the Patreon, patreon.com slash WWDN. Help us keep the podcast going, guys. And if you want to provide us a taco, go to buymeacoffee.com slash widow we do now. Join our Facebook group, the Widow Wives Club on Facebook. It's all over the internet. So find any of our links on any of our social media sites and you can be connected. And until we talk to you again, I'm Anita. I'm Mel. And I'm Josette. And we're just two young widows and one widow who chooses gratitude, but sometimes also sucks on the lemons and is angry, but then goes back to gratitude. And we're just trying to figure out, widow, we do now. This is my favorite thing to discuss with you. Tell me, what is it? One of my favorite things. I do enjoy tacos and cheese and dogs. This is about how you cannot pay hundreds and hundreds of dollars for a phone plan, especially when you're a widow, your person is dead, you might have kids, you might need another option, and you just want your phone to work, you want unlimited texting and service, and you want it to be like 25 bucks a month. It blows my mind that they have plans that start at $15 a month. That is so cheap. And the cool thing is, is it uses other 5G networks. And so you don't have to pay extra for that. And you still get great service. Yep. Anita and I have traveled all over and I have used my phone. So I highly recommend it. And my mom's even on it. When my dad died, we put his phone down to the cheapest plan, which is $15 a month. And I think my mom's on the $20 a month plan and it's so worth it. It's so much cheaper than what we were all paying before. So I highly recommend it if you're on a budget or not, who cares? Ryan Reynolds is in charge of the company and they send you free stickers with Ryan Reynolds temporary tattoos. It's kind of the best. So. If somebody wants to sign up, what can they do, Anita? Go to trymintmobile.com slash WWDN. Seriously, you guys, such a great idea. Save yourself some money. And if you're worried about losing data or having any changes with your phone, not going to happen. They walk you through it. Everything's fine. It's the easiest process of all time. Again, that's trymintmobile.com slash WWDN.